Well, the Virginia Cavaliers are predictably 0-1 to start Wait a the minute. year. Wait, I know we're about to start, but I, I just thought of this. You haven't mentioned him this whole show. But I so co- shout out to Coach Prime for getting I did, the win. I did. I mentioned him barely at the very beginning. Okay, but I was going to say is, um, are, are, you, are you like him? Is your favorite book The Little Engine That Could? You know, I do like that book. My kids love it when we read that to them. Okay, because so. he, he, he mentioned that because he, he believes he can win the national championship there, which is, you know what? They're 1-0. They are 1-0. Meanwhile, a team that is far from 1-0, clearly 0-1, Virginia is where we start things off in, covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. With Jerry Ratcliffe.com founder, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, looking back, Virginia falls to Tennessee. Um, are you amazed that Virginia actually was able to keep that game as close as possible? It was 14 to 3 until the mythical two-minute warning of the first half, and then it all predictably unraveled from there as a late touchdown in the first half and another one early in the second half. Pushed that to 28 to 3 in Tennessee. They were off to the races for a 45-13 victory. Yeah, it was a little bit, Ed. Uh, I, I thought the game went pretty much like I thought it would, although I, I thought you had to give Virginia credit. They played fairly well there in the first half, and I think it was a matter of depth caught up with them a lot in the second half. Uh, Tennessee kept rolling in fresh bodies all day, and Virginia just doesn't have that kind of depth to match up over 60 minutes with a program of that magnitude. So uh, I think they got worn down, and I think at some point that uh, superiority in talent is just going to break through, and then that's what happened. On the flip side, Virginia, their offense still leaves a lot to be desired. How much of that was just Tennessee having not only the fresh bodies, but particularly such an advantage on the defensive line against Virginia's retooled offensive line, not just starters, but backups as well. But it's hard to get a real gauge on Virginia other than Tennessee was able to be disruptive enough that they injured quarterback Tony Musket, and now his status is in question for Saturday's noon kickoff against JMU. Yeah, well, I don't think Virginia will face another front seven like that the rest of the year, Ed. Uh, and, they, you know, they, they just couldn't play with those guys. They were uh, they were manhandled at the line of scrimmage by that defense all day long. And Musket was essentially under duress the entire game. And it caught up with him uh, early in the fourth quarter when he went down on the fourth sack of the day and landed on his left shoulder and like you said we don't know if he's going to be available for JMU come Saturday or if uh, Tony Elliott knows something and he's just doing some gamesmanship where you know Musk could start or if he's trying to make JMU prepare for two quarterbacks so uh, we'll just have to wait until game time Saturday unless something leaks out Six and a half was the opening line. Yes, in favor of second year 1A FBS team JMU over Virginia. It's gone up to seven. A lot of it could be around the uncertainty of Tony Muskid. Is that too much, or do you believe there's reason to believe that JMU is just a better team than Virginia right now? I think it's hard to determine. I mean, if you look on paper from last year, certainly JMU was the better program. 
they even though they easily won against Bucknell last week, they had to change quarterbacks uh, midway through the third quarter because the starter just wasn't getting it done. And this other guy who uh, is was uh, is Ray Ray McLeod, who used to play for Clemson, and Tony Elliott. Uh, it, uh, this McLeod is Ray Ray's younger brother, so. Um, He's been around. He played at South Florida. He played at Arizona. Now he's starting to get a new. I, I don't know. I, I mean, they beat some really good programs last year, but I, I'm not familiar with their program to know how much is back from that team. Uh, I don't know if we'll get a true indication of that until we see them face off against each other Saturday. I, I, I'm not surprised that JMU is favored, but. I think it's a must-win for Virginia, and you know it sounds like it could be a sellout crowd, even though a lot of them will be wearing purple, and uh, it'll be a very emotional day because of the pregame ceremony for the three slain Virginia players. So it, it's going to be a very interesting, emotional day, and, and should be a really good football game. It should, and you mentioned that other angle. Virginia going to honor Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis Jr., and Deshaun Perry. Their numbers and names will be represented in the end zone, which is a great gesture from UVA. There will be uh, a lot of pregame ceremonial activities uh, leading up to the noon kickoff of JNU at Virginia to commemorate their lives and uh, the memories that they brought for Virginia football and certainly uh, their families as well and to recognize them. That said, how do you quantify the fact that Tony Elliott spoke today at the media availability that uh, compartmentalizing is key. It seems like that would be much easier said than done. Oh, no question about it. I mean, all those teammates are going to be extremely emotional. You just got to be careful that you don't let it overtake you and control your ability to make the right decisions and focus on your assignments and play football. Sometimes that will help you a lot, uh, give you inspiration coming out of the tunnel, and it lasts until somebody hits you in the mouth and you realize you're there to play football. So uh, they've just got to be careful to, like he said, compartmentalize that and make sure they don't become overly emotional because that can backfire on you. JerryRatcliffe.com founder and contributor Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, thanks for the time today. Look forward to seeing you this coming Saturday in a a very unique atmosphere of Scott Stadium for JMU and UVA. 500th game in Scott Stadium history, Ed. It'll be fun to see you there. Indeed. Jerry Ratcliffe with us here in the Fast Lane. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokey, 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 hot. With David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. David, Virginia Tech, they get a victory over Old Dominion. It was comfortable by the end, but did it feel comfortable the entire way to you, or was it too close for comfort in part because Virginia Tech really struggled both in run defense with the misdirection of Old Dominion and more notably getting any kind of surge in the running game themselves? Yeah, Ed, great to be with you as always. I think it was a little bit of both. I think at times it felt very, very comfortable for Virginia Tech. I think when Grant Wells was out there swinging the ball around, I mean, he had over 200 yards and he had three touchdowns and one on the ground. It looked like the Virginia Tech offense was moving. And I think after the second quarter, it was right around the second quarter was when things started to pick up. I think that first 15 minutes felt a little bit nerve-wracking 
because Old Dominion, Virginia Tech kind of going back and forth. The Hokies punt, and they turn the ball over on downs. It's Is Virginia Tech still going to try to mess around at quarterback? And we had seen Kyron Drones a little bit up to that point. And in the second quarter, everything kind of switched. And Virginia Tech started to get comfortable. Grant Wells started to find a rhythm. The Hokies were pretty good defensively, obviously not perfect. But I think after that, everything kind of settled down. And it was only 16-10 at halftime. But I think that Derek Canteen forced fumble on that first possession of the second half really kind of hammered it home. And then after that, it was all Hokies. So I would say for about the first half, it was a little bit uncomfortable for Virginia Tech fans. But, but I think you saw it towards the end. Just took a little bit for Virginia Tech to hit its stride and then kind of slowly, gradually pulled away. They hit their stride. Is that going to be delayed because Brent Pry and the staff seem to be infatuated with the two-quarterback debate? And yes, David, I'm asking this so you can break the tie between Trey and me on whether or not this is a good idea. Uh, It's not a good idea. I don't know which one of you guys has said it wasn't, but you're right. Uh, This does not seem like a good idea to me at all. Virginia Tech was fine in the first... Well, I guess Virginia Tech was okay on the first drive. Didn't result in a touchdown. It was a punt. But once Tech got going, Tech was fine with Wells behind center. But that second drive of the game, when the Okies threw in Kyron Jones for five plays, subbed him in and out, and then then out again, and they put Grant Wells in a fourth and two predicament, that is bad management. And I understand that you might be more comfortable with Wells and you want drones on the field for certain plays. And I don't care that that Grant Wells might say, it didn't bother me that much. I think they're lying, and I think it's a I think it's terrible game management. And I think you have to pick quarterback and stick with them. If Grant Wells continues to go out and play like he did, where he doesn't turn the ball over and he throw, he, you know, he completes about sixty uh, percent of his passes. If he's if he's making good plays and the offense is rolling and he's calm and composed, it's one thing. If he's losing his mind out there, then I'd say put Kyron Drones in. But but I think this is going to be a big game on Saturday against Purdue. It's one the Hokies have a really good chance to win. And if they try to mess around and, and use two quarterbacks and it backfires, it's all on the coaching staff. I was just saying that they should use him in short yardage situations. That's all I said. I said that makes sense given his skill set. I didn't say I, use him. I I didn't say use him like they did. I said use him in short yardage situations. I just want to clear my 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 side, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love how that goes. So anyway, Virginia Tech gets ready to battle Purdue. Noon kickoff this coming Saturday. First one to 70 wins. Are we expecting a shootout? Uh, I'm not really sure. I I think Purdue is kind of reeling a little bit from that loss to Fresno State, 39-35 over the weekend. I think this is an okay Purdue team. First-year head coach. Uh, I think this is going to be really, really interesting. I think Virginia Tech has the advantage here. It's a it should be another sold out game in Lane Stadium noon on Saturday this is the ESPN 2 game good television slot I think the Hokies will have a pretty good advantage the question is can the coaches be smart and not mess around with quarterbacks and can Virginia Tech stop the run the Hokies didn't were really, really challenged through the air. Uh, but when they were, they were fantastic against ODU. I'm very curious to see what happens this Saturday against their all-out Purdue aerial attack. 
this is a this is a game where the Hokies are going to have to be really really solid against the pass. I think that's a battle they win. I think it really comes down to can you be smart and not turn the ball over. And if this is Virginia Tech team comes out and does the same thing it did this last weekend, where it forces a turnover here or there, albeit they came in the second half, but that still counts, and they change the tide of the game. If they can do that again, I think they're in really good shape. But again, a lot of it hinges on this quarterback decision. And and can Virginia Tech run the ball? I think that's the other biggest question outside of the offensive line. The Hokies didn't show they could run the ball. Bayshaw Tootin was okay, forced a lot of missed tackles, didn't get many yards. Can the Hokies run the ball anymore? We'll find out on Saturday. We definitely will. We don't have to wait for the insight, though. It's always available at the Real Con A on Twitter and Instagram and TechSideline.com. David, thank you for joining us talking some Virginia Tech football as they're 1-0. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. And a reminder, of course, 6 o'clock was when we had the game last week. This time it's at 10 a.m. airtime for Purdue at Virginia Tech. I was gonna, I was about to go Omaha, Omaha on you. There, yes. You know. Well, I, I had a correction at the last second of what came out of my alert, mouth. Alert, alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of... Now to the Liberty Flame. Handling quarterbacks the correct way. John Manson, the CofRed.com with us here Smith. in the Fast Lane. And we say that because, yes, in segment one today, it'll be up Fast Lane Headlane where you listen to podcasts. We compared the quarterback handling at Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Liberty and said that Liberty did a really good job over the weekend with Caden Salter, naming him the guy and riding with him even through that second half rut. John, how crucial was the way Jamie Chavel and his staff handle Caden Salter to also keeping the team stable during that second half rut, which came after the block field goal at the end of the first half and the early scoring drive for Bowling Green to start the third quarter. Yeah, and I think it really goes back to the spring, Ed, and their handling of, of all the quarterbacks, not just Caden, but the others as well. But uh, really installing in them, instilling in them, and, and building them up, you know, with confidence and and uh, letting them know they don't have to worry about looking over their shoulder. That's that's one thing that's been, uh, you know, kind of conveyed to Caden since he was named starter internally, going back uh, almost two weeks ago now, and and uh, he's been getting all the first team work and and Coach Chadwell and, and quarterback coach and offensive coordinator Willie Corner told him, you know, you're our guy. You don't have to worry about looking over your shoulder and, and worrying about making a mistake and getting yanked. Uh, we're going to ride uh, the ups and downs with you, whether it's one week or, or multiple weeks, that's what they're going to do. And and so you, you saw some of that uh, displayed uh, week one. And, and again, I mean, you're talking about Caden Salter, a guy who uh, was third on the depth chart going into the season last year and, and probably did not, uh, you know, prepare as as though he, he could possibly play and and uh, that was evident and then he got thrown into it and it just had to rely upon his natural athletic ability and, and he showed some of those uh, flashes of, of uh, what he could be uh, early last year before he had that growing injury and then he never really got back to it and and uh, you know Coach Chadwell talked about how you know going back to the spring uh, it was Caden Salter who was the one that was in the playbook more than any of the other quarterbacks and and uh, I think we're, we saw a lot of growth in him week one and I think as he gets more and more uh, snaps more and more playing time uh, more and more uh, comfortable in the uh, in the offense I think we'll see that growth uh, continue throughout this season John Manson with us here from a sea of red.com looking back at the 34 24 victory for Liberty over Bowling Green um Jamie Chabal mentioned this after the game and you were very astute to mention the block field goal and how Liberty responded to that 
How much do you learn about Liberty and this team and their ability to handle that type of storm as opposed to if they had jumped out to what at the time was a 21 to 7 or 24 to 7 lead, made it 27 to 7 in Liberty Cruise that might have been more fun and less stressful, but might not have been as uh, revelatory? Oh, sure. I think you're exactly right there, Ed. And, uh, you know, fans probably wish this final score would have been, you know, 44 to 7 or, or something like that. But uh, it, it probably was better for the team, you know, looking back on it. And, you know, hindsight's always 2020. And, and, you know, the most important thing, if you ask Coach Chadwell or, or any of the rest of his staff, was to get out of there with a win, whether it was 50 to nothing or 7 to 6, it doesn't matter. And, and uh, having said that, you know, they got through there with the win and they went through some adversity. Uh, that's something Coach Chadwell mentioned uh, in training camp and, and uh, since the game uh, Saturday afternoon is he didn't know and what this team was, how they would respond to adversity, how they would re- respond when they got punched in the mouth. And, and uh, they certainly did and took the best shot that Bowling Green had. And uh, I mean, that was a 10-point swing, you know, the last play basically of the first half. And, like you said, you go from you know potentially being up twenty-seven to seven uh, to it being twenty-four to, to uh, fourteen, and um, you know Bowling Green get the ball to start the second half, and, and they went down and scored a field goal, and and uh, you know you never know. And really, if you go back to the play before the the uh, the blocked field goal, it was a fourth and four, and and Coach Chadwell sent his offense out there. You know, I think they were just trying to catch uh, Bowling Green jumping off sides. They did jump off sides, but the center, a new center, first time playing center, Jordan White, transfer from West Virginia, did not snap snap the ball. So they uh, end up having to call a timeout and, and turn to the uh, uh, field goal unit where the kick got blocked. But uh, yeah, a lot of growing, uh, you know, growing pains, growing and learning. I mean, again, you got a lot of guys that uh, have never played before, or if they have played, it's been elsewhere and not in this system. And uh, you know, it's, that's just going to be some of that, some of that growing pains. Uh, you know, and, and fortunately, Liberty got got the win in Week One, and, and they'll try to do it uh, here in Week Two, going up against uh, New Mexico State in the Conference USA opener. John Manson, a CFRA.com, with us in the fast lane. John, thank you for your time today. If it's okay with you, we'd love to try to maybe connect with you later this week to uh, look ahead to New Mexico State and all the unique festivities around the uh, supposed revenge game. That sounds good. It should be a good one. Thanks, Ed. John Manson of CFRed.com with us here in the Fast Lane. That does it for covering the Commonwealth. Part one, that is, of course. Part two, will we return a little more on the Flames with the man who's in the studio for them. And yes, quite a bit with the Lynchburg Hillcats as well. That kicks off part two of covering the Commonwealth next.